This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponco Chicken. Ponco Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponco is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponco if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, uh, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasemonspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. We're taping this on a Wednesday evening. Uh, you're not going to believe this, folks, if you're familiar with the Atlanta area, but it is still raining. It is uh, not going to stop, um, it seems like, but that doesn't matter because guess what? We have Tom Gower of Football Outsiders to talk football with tonight. So, Tom, good evening. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, I would like to start with the Titans right now. Uh, they're not really in the news. Everybody's uh, keeping up with Brady, whether or not Derek Carr is a good fit in Bruce Arians' offense, if the Bears are going to trade for Andy Dalton. A lot of stuff like that is floating out there, but not as much, uh, which I think is interesting, about Derek Henry, Ryan Tannehill, and the Tennessee Titans, who went on this great run, um, should be applauded for it, uh, but just fell short. And now questions are like, oh, would they get into the Brady sweepstakes? Would that keep the, would that get them over the hump in the AFC? If they got Brady, we had the FaceTime video of Brady talking to Vrabel with Julian Edelman and Jimmy Fallon at the Syracuse game. Is it is there a smart football case, in your opinion, for the Titans to keep both Henry and Ryan Tannehill long-term? Uh, Tannehill is 
Yeah, for well, in terms, it depends on what you mean by long term. Uh, for Derrick Henry, um, he's an older running back. He didn't have much workload his first two and a half years in the league. As far as running backs of his age goes, you can probably count on him for about two years, which probably, which realistically means he's you're looking at a three or four year deal. Um, anything. You know, you can probably count on him for that, even if you don't want to necessarily give him uh, 25 carries every week like he had the second half of last year. Uh, Tannehill is potentially at least in answer and a better answer than you're guaranteed to get for the next uh, four to six years, even if you think that his long t- that his long term level of play is likely to be closer to the average to below average starter he was in Miami rather than the orchestrator of one of the best offenses in the league as he was in the second half of last season. If I'm Tennessee, what I'd probably do is I would definitely kick the tires on Brady. Like, you just have to. There is, like you said, with Derrick Henry, he's only got maybe two years left um, with the amount of carries and just what he's taken on. Anyway, Brady wants a two-year deal. Like, looking at guys like that, we're, okay, the the timeline matches up. But I I think I would probably stay away from the Henry stuff. I just, I uh, maybe it's Devontae Freeman syndrome, and I I can't. I can't do it anymore. I, I just, if I'm a GM of any team after that first contract, I, I'm sorry. You got to go. Can't do it. I just, I can't keep going over this over and over again. The Ch- Kansas City Chiefs just won a Super Bowl with Damian Williams um, at running back. It just, it doesn't matter. Raheem Mozart versus Damian Williams at the Super Bowl this year. I, I just, I understand Derrick Henry had this great run and that was awesome, but uh, hard pass on paying Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. And then you look at what Tannehill did down uh, the second half of the stretch uh, this season, especially in play action and just how accurate he was and just doing things downfield that Mariota uh, just didn't do. Um, I would probably pay Tannehill and then I'd still probably draft a second round or late first round quarterback. I would I would do both. I think teams are just like, oh, we got our guy. Now we don't have to worry about the quarterback position anymore, like the Vikings, who I want to ask you about later. But I would. Would you be mad if they paid Tannehill, let Derrick Henry walk, and then drafted like Jacob Eason or Jordan Love late in the first round? Um, I the vibe in Tennessee seems to be that there's basically no chance that Derrick Henry is not on the Titans in 2019, and probably, or excuse me, in 2020, and probably past 2020 as well. They've decided that his ability is a fundamental part of their offensive identity, and they're not interested in changing that. Um, you know, John Robinson and Mike Vrabel at the Combine recently had the opportunity to commit strongly in favor of uh, either Derrick Henry uh, and they can commit strongly in favor of uh, Henry and Tannehill. They both chose to commit strongly in favor of Henry and not in favor of Tannehill. I mean, Tannehill, like I said, he's been a blow. He's been an average to blow average starter. He has a long track record in the NFL. Um, I would be perfectly fine if the Titans were to franchise Tannehill and to draft and to draft a player they view as his replacement, whether that's with their pick at the end of the first round or in the second or third rounds. But that doesn't seem like the likeliest scenario for what they're going to do. It's they're going to try to get Derrick Henry and then do something at quarterback. And it looks like, you know, their lack of commitment to Tannehill says you can't rule him out of the Brady sweepstakes. That just, yeah, it just seems like Brady. Like, if Brady is not in the market, do you think that they're speaking as, not ominously, but um, just kind of uh, mysteriously about how they feel about Tannehill internally? 
I mean, I if they're really not if they're really lukewarm about Tannehill's uh, short term future, I mean that's pretty reasonable. I think that's pretty reasonable given he has a long track record in the NFL. It's not like a player who just had a breakout season in his third year. Um, for our preview book at Football Outsiders a couple of years ago, I looked at and looking at the Jaguars and Blake Bortles, I looked at quarterbacks who had been consistently below average the first three or four years in the leagues. Sometimes after a terrible rookie year. They are like him, and those guys have a pretty mixed record. Uh, Donovan McNabb is a guy who had his breakthrough year, his uh, sixth year in the NFL uh, when the Eagles made the Super Bowl and after they got Terrell Owens, and then he was a better quarterback after that. Um, then you have guys who have like randomly good years, like Andy Dalton, in great situations like Andy Dalton in 2015, and they re- returned to being the basically the same quarterback they were before that. And I think if the Titans could decide that's what Tannehill is, and in that case, then if you can get a player that you believe is an upgrade and capable of playing at an elite level, then you do explore that situation, especially if you're in a situation where you just made the AFC championship game, you have a veteran team, and you think you have a window to win immediately. Is there any saving Marcus Mariota at this point? Uh, That's always been an interesting question, because even going back to Oregon, and this was one of the things, a guy by the name of Eric Stoner wrote a great piece about when he was coming out about how Marcus was what he called a task-oriented quarterback. And the thing about Marcus in the NFL and even going back to college is he deals with similar appearing situations very differently. And so there's always going to be some uh, offensive guru or uh, coach who thinks he's an offensive guru who thinks he can get the, who thinks he can eliminate the inconsistencies in players game and unlock the potential that's always been there. But at Mm. a certain point player is who he is and it's not real that realistic to expect him to change what appears to be a fundamental feature of his playing personality. He's like one of those guys that I just wonder, like if he had gotten drafted by the Ravens, how do we look at Marcus Mariota? And they just built their team. Like he had Greg Roman as his offensive coordinator first. And that's who he was with for the first couple of years of his NFL career. How do we view Marcus Mariota? Um, it just seems like all the different coordinator changes, all the different scheme changes and just his well, like trying to make him a pocket passer and this, that, and the other. I, I just wonder if he was one of those guys, like you said, where a lot has to be unlocked with him and they're always trying to unlock something more from Marietta, but maybe the key to Marietta was just not even trying to unlock anything and just being like, Hey, this dude was good at Oregon because of this, this, and this, uh, I'm not sure this will work long-term in the NFL, but let's just try it. Let's just do our best Oregon Marcus Marietta impression. And it seems like he's never really gotten that anywhere. Um, I don't know if I'm Marietta, I would probably go to new England. Like, I don't know if that's a possibility, but if I'm Mariota, I'm looking at my Jacoby Brissett type situation where I can go sit behind, um, maybe it's not Brady, whoever it is, go in Belichick scheme, be with Josh McDaniels for a couple years, and then kind of do some Sam Bradford-y stuff and bounce around for a little bit. And maybe um, you find the right team at the right situation and it, it works out. But um, it seems like he's going to be on several teams over the next couple of years, but I, I hope not because he seems like a very likable kid and just... It's got to be brutal from a personal perspective to see what happened to the Titans once he got benched. Like if he, if you're Mariota, man, yeah. that second half of the season just had to be brutal. 
And but you know he's always been a solid citizen. He's ne- he's yeah. never complained. Everybody's always had positive things to say about him, personality wise. It's just like the perfect anecdote about him is that he makes his bed in hotel rooms. Does he really? That was some. Yes, that was something that came out a few years ago, and it was just it immediately became the perfect representation of who Marcus is as a person. And it's just like, well, I have a follow up to that. I, Are I, you supposed to do that? Is that a good thing? Because if they're coming in to clean and change the sheets, what is the point of making the bed if once you leave, they are going to toss it and and clean them anyway? Um, you know, it's that's sort of not really. That's sort of almost beside the point. It's yeah, like, missing this the is, point. Probably. This is his routine. <laughs> Which is his routine, and he sticks to it all the time. And that's yeah. sort of like he's a very way. I, the way I've described him as a quarterback is he's a very structured processor, and that's the takeoff mm-hmm. of uh, Eric Stone of Eric Stoner's description of him. And it's the if it's not exactly the way he expects it to go, it's like his uh, mental process breaks down, and he doesn't see things that he should see. We call that like the Kirk Cousins his syndrome. Day has to start by. Yeah. And it's like his day has to start by making the bed. So even if he's in a hotel room where they where you're where there's actually maybe a positive benefit in not making the bed, he makes his bed. Hmm. That's interesting. I bet you there's all kinds of like weird athlete, especially quarterback quirks that we are not privy to that I would I would love to know. Like I, I'm sure Tom Brady's yeah. got some I mean, we already know some of it, but like some really weird daily habits that he has to stick to in the regimen and all that kind of stuff. Um, last thing in the Titans, yeah. we'll move on. Do you believe that they're now firmly in the AFC contention window for the next two years? Or do you think last year is more likely than not an outlier and that this team is still got a lot of work to do? Um, the, you know, it was a great run to the AFC championship game. It was great to go into Baltimore and New England and to beat two teams that were better in the regular season than the Titans were. Um, the Titans, you know, at Football Outsiders, our numbers have been down on the Titans' defense relative to public perception. They were 16th in DVOA last in DVOA, which is our metric of Football Outsiders that we use to compare every team. That was a slight improvement on what they'd been the previous couple seasons. So you've heard a lot of talk about the Titans as being a top 10 defense the past couple of years. Our numbers don't agree with that. Um, one of the big reasons why is they don't make enough disruptive plays um, outside of when they're going against a below average run of left tackles. They struggled to get pressure. They didn't have enough depth behind Harold Landry, who's been, who had a good second season, not a great one, but they just didn't have enough around him. They tried to sign Kim Wake last year, but he ended up getting hurt and playing very few snaps. And then uh, they don't, make many they don't get many passes defense on defense they don't make a lot of tackles for loss so they're you know if you're good on offense you can make plays against the titans defense it's just that you know there are a lot there are a few teams in the nfl that struggle to play consistent offense and you can get you can get to a certain point on defense if uh, if you do that, but then you run into a team against a team like Kansas City, where they play 50 minutes of great offense, and the Titans played 25 minutes of great offense, and that was that. That's a really good point, and I mean, even the Super Bowl was just like that for the Chiefs. Just Mahomes was really bad for a lot of that game, and the 49ers were awesome and outplayed them offensively for the majority of that game. And no one's going to remember that. They're going to remember the fourth quarter and like the three touchdowns and five minutes and everything. So. That's got to be extremely frustrating yeah. if you're a football coach. <laughs> uh, 
uh, oh, I'm oh, I'm sure it drives them all crazy. But you know, it's so our so our view of this is that the Titans' real success last year was built on uh, their great offense, and their offense was great the second half of the year. But, you know, it's they did it with. In it, but it just looks like a special set of circumstances that'll be difficult. That'll be difficult to replicate, and that's likely to produce a team that's, you know, has a record like the the nine and seven record the Titans have had the past couple seasons, and not one of the true AFC contenders. I'm I'm right there with you. Um, there are a lot of teams that think they have a franchise quarterback right now, or maybe we all assume that they think they have a franchise quarterback, like the Bucks and. The Colts, and I mean, there are teams up and down the ladder where it's like, oh, they, they've got a guy, uh, the Bears, the Trubisky, but is there a team with a quote-unquote franchise quarterback that you would like to still see take one early in the draft this year? Um, if you, I don't think the Colts think they have a franchise quarterback, so it's it seems like it's we may be potentially in a weird transition period where there are a few guys like you know Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson where their team is unquestionably committed to them for the long run and as you have a bunch of situations where a team could plausibly decide that you know what they need a new they could still they could stick with their current guy but if they're in the position where they can potentially upgrade on him then they're willing to make a move you could even I you know, look no further than the Bengals. If the Bengals had the fifth pick in the draft instead of the first pick, would they be committed to t- to potentially taking Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert, or would they potentially be looking at keeping Andy Dalton for a couple of years? And you know, with the first overall pick, I'm sure uh, I'd be quite surprised if they don't take Joe Burrow. But you know, if they but if they weren't there, and there are a number of teams that you know, if they're in the if they're in the position where they can upgrade on what they have, then I think they would. It's just that it's sometimes hard to get in a position to upgrade. And, you know, they may not want to take a speculative bet on a, on a next level prospect, whether that's to a, uh, uh, and his injury history, Herbert, and what, whether he can be a more consistent player than he was at Oregon. Or even if you look at, you know, the, the somewhat surprising quarterback takes couple of years um thinking specifically of josh allen and daniel jones can you can i give you my favorite one of a team just because i would yeah. just the news cycle for 24 hours after it happened uh would just be delightful the cowboys if they were like wow, they stack like it would just be the most jerry jones thing ever after just the pettiness for just revolving around Jimmy Johnson over the last week and still not paying him in the ring of honor when he just got in the hall of fame and everything else. But I just, I would love after paying Zeke and then pays Cooper and then franchises, uh, Dak and then like takes a quarterback in the first round. That is, that is what I'm hoping for. That is, I, I want to see the you know, take a quarterback in round one. Jerry Jones has not really asserted himself in that way the past couple of years. So yeah. it's, you know, you know, he still wants to, but you know, I cooler heads have prevailed at uh, the star in Frisco. So I don't think that's going to happen, even though it would have been so much fun had he done something like taking Johnny Manziel instead of Zach Martin. True. Which is something that he wanted. <laughs> yeah. Um, Stephen Jones might have a little bit more influence than we know. Um, the 49ers. 
probably going to pay Eric Armstead um, a lot of a lot of money because the 49ers defensive line very good. Uh, Tom, I, I I'm sure you're very aware of just how good the Bosa, oh, yeah. Armstead, and friends uh, defensive line is. Is this the right thing uh, to pay Armstead at the number that he's going to get? Um, you know, that's a good question. That really comes down to a your team building philosophy. Uh, Armstead's a really good player. Um, you know, it's you know philosophically and organizationally rewarding your team's good players is something that players think highly of. Um, it's just a question of you know, and the and the and the defensive line really drove a lot of the 49ers' success. By our numbers, Armstead was second on the team in pressures, but he had less than half as many as Nick Bosa. So it's not. So the you know, the problem always is that don't over. You know, it's it's great to reward reward your own players, but don't overprivilege them just because they're your players and you were and you are a successful team. So um, you know you can't that that often means making tough decisions and choosing to let very good players walk. And it's not just, you know, it's not trying to re-sign Armstead. It's trying to re-sign everybody. And then your margin for error becomes much less. Um, I think you saw this in Seattle where they chose to re-sign seven of their 11 core defensive players. So they made, it's not like they made no choices, but you know, they, ever since they made the decision to re-sign all those guys, they haven't been back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, and they have a big question this offseason too with Jadavion Clowney, right? Like that's one of the under-talked about storylines as well is just what they do there. Because the sneaky thing about the Seahawks was their defense was not elite. Like this is not an elite defense and it was still the Russell Wilson show who's just um, not, he, he's asking to be uh, uh, a little bit more creative on offense, but uh, Schottenheimer and Carroll like, no, 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 we're, we're good. We're going to keep using five running backs and uh, dragging these games out into Slugfest. Um I get in arguments about this with a lot of Falcons fans. Uh, I don't think Dirk Cutter is good. I think this offense last year went under the radar, just not being good and getting Matt Ryan killed. Um, the Devontae Freeman stuff is not good. If you go to Football Outsiders, just running DVOA stats with Dirk Cutter over the last five years, it's pretty abysmal. Um, I just, I'm not sure with the offensive line that the Falcons have anyway, and we'll have to see with the right side being as young as it is with McGarity. And Lindstrom, maybe they turn out to be both really great players, and Matthews has been solid, Alex Mack's getting older, but are we sure that Dirk Cutter is a good offensive coordinator and the Falcons should not have uh, changed gears uh, again, once again this uh, offseason at uh, OC? Uh, it's, I think the question is less whether Dirk Cutter is a good offensive coordinator, but it's more whether you could have you can reasonably expect to upgrade in the short term on Dirk Cutter because, you know, off, offensive continuity really does matter a lot. You know, with an average, it's generally not a good idea to cycle through average coordinators. And, you know, Cutter just has a long track record of, you know, mixed of, you know, what I recall is a pretty mixed level of performance. So I'd say it's, mm. you know, it's not like he's, it's not like he's, you know, a, three-year tight end coach who suddenly got promoted to offensive coordinator. He's a, he has a long history of coaching and being at least reasonably successful, but even if not extremely successful, and that the best hope is probably 
continuity and just do hope that, you know, McGarity and Lindstrom uh, improve and the line really comes together. Um, when they made the Super Bowl a few years ago, I think they had the same offensive line starters for virtually every game. Uh, a lot of yeah. offensive success comes down to relatively lucky things like that. And that, you know, mm. one of the things that we do find is that changing coordinators often sets your offense back for a year. And, and that's something that's accounted for in our projections. It's a lot better. I don't like this, Tom. I, I've been on the, I, the you know, have been back island, <laughs> and you've talked me back into just give him one more year and let's see what happens. But I'm also not entirely convinced that Dirk Cutter is not going to be responsible for Matt Ryan losing three years of his career. I'm at, I don't know what to do, Tom. This is this is tough for me. No, it's you know, it's if it's a real disaster like the Ken Wisenhunt era in Tennessee. There are generally good signs that it's a real disaster. Otherwise, it's just, you know, there's a lot of sometimes a great muddled middle in the NFL. And it's sometimes you're able to escape that for a year or two. And sometimes you're just stuck there. And it's not a fun place to be. You know, it felt like the Titans might have been stuck there until last year's playoff run. And now, and now they won a uh, they won a couple of games, and uh, everybody's feeling a lot better, even though the fun, even though in my view the fundamentals really didn't change much. Okay, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Um, this is something that I have been thinking about a lot too, and there's going to be a lot of turnover rate in the AFC West anyway. Um, the Broncos just traded for AJ Bouye. Uh, John Elway believes he's finally got his quarterback of the future in Drew Locke, and he was fun down the stretch last year. They're going to sign a veteran running back. Um, their offensive line looks like it's trending in the right direction for the first time in like 20 years. Um, I liked Cortland Sutton a lot, and I think he's got some serious breakout potential. Still a Deshaun Hamilton guy. Um, they've got a lot of talent on defense. We already knew that. Um, I still wonder... In your opinion, who poses the biggest threat to KC over the next couple of years in the AFC West? It was the Chargers, I think, originally, but now Phil Rivers is out, and I there's questions at QB, obviously, but they, I think you can make the case as a whole have the most talented roster in the AFC West. Um, and then the Raiders, uh, I think we all thought would be a lot worse than they were this past year. They have questions with Derek Carr. The Tom Brady stuff obviously is there. The defense is still subpar. They're still missing a lot of pass rushers. They still need a lot of help in the secondary. The offensive line was weirdly good. First Tom Cable offensive line that was good in like what it, the history of football outsiders. Um, don't quote me on that, Tom. But uh, I think that was that was the right number. No, it's uh, I. I haven't, <laughs> no, I haven't looked that up. I haven't looked up Tom Cable's uh, stats specifically, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was his first good offensive line. Um, right? Yeah, we don't talk about that enough. Tom Cable got a good offensive line out of this group. I don't understand how the Raiders had a good offensive line this year. That should have been the lead story on Football Outsiders offseason. Just. Uh, analysis is how did Tom Cable put together a good offensive line in the year of 2019? Yeah, it's, I don't know. You know, sometimes just weird things happen in rent and just, it's, you know, it's just a one-off fluke and it's just not obvious. It's a one-off fluke until, because, you know, we do have a long history of Tom Cable making bad decisions, doing weird things and attacking other coaches. That doesn't sound like the sort of thing that should produce a good offensive line, especially in an environment where it's difficult, where it's more difficult than it used to be to train and develop good offensive linemen. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, yeah, well, yeah, I'll uh, I'll have to wait for a second here before I before I actually believe it. Okay, um, something that I think has been talked about um, a lot early on in the off season, but 
I I don't really have a good answer for this. I think this is a very tough thing. I don't like how the Panthers are approaching Cam Newton's um, future in Carolina based on what he's done for that team over the years. And just, I, I don't like the sentiment of like, oh, he's got to be healthy or it just feels very cold and callous. It kind of reminds me of the Peyton stuff in Indy years ago uh, with the next stuff and just uh-huh. ready to move on and the next best thing. I don't, I don't like it. Um, it. It just feels unethical to me the way they're going about it. But what would you do right now if you're the Carolina Panthers? Do you still go with Cam long-term? Do you look to move him and go with the quarterback? Like, what do you do this offseason if you're David Tepper and uh, Marty Herney? Um, you know, it's Cam has been banged up. He's this, What made him special was his ability as a, a runner. He was never the... Uh, most consistent passer um you know that's it was it was reasonable to expect that he would not age well and i don't know that how close they think they are but they're another one of those many teams that could decide that you know they're okay for the next couple years or they could decide to be aggressive and look to the future even if it means they might get worse in the present and you know it looks like that's the way it's training in carolina and you know a lot of you know, and a lot of being an NFL executive is not having is having the right amount of sentiment, which means also not having too much sentiment. And it looks like that's the way it's going in Carolina. And I don't you know, like it. it's I... it's tough. <laughs> it's not the same thing. But it's a lot easier to be cold and unsentimental doing this from you know. Uh, outside an NFL building and outside an NFL locker room. That's one of the things that I've off that I've seen a lot of in Tennessee is that, you know, like, uh, like Nashville, Charlotte has not, is not in a historically a pro city and that you, you do see a little bit of a college mentality among the fans. One of the things about colleges is players are ever young. They never grow old. And so they're always able to, be the legends that they were and you don't have to worry about, you know, Cam Newton was the NFL MVP. I thought he completely deserved to be NFL MVP in 2015, but you're not going to get, you're probably not going to get very far in 2020 or 2021 with him, especially on, you know, uh, and without big changes in Carolina. So it may be time to move. It may be time to, you know, recognize that he'll be in the Panthers ring of honor most likely one day, but you know, he's not, he, you don't, necessarily want him to be the quarterback of the present anymore where is there a perfect landing spot for him in your mind uh, that's a good question um and the reason i can't the reason i'm not sure is because i don't know what he'll be physically and so i you know it it would be it it would feel it would feel wrong if he has to go to a team where he's not the locked in starter but at the same time you need an option other than him because you don't know how I'll be physically. So, you know, that that'll really come down to a lot of this quarterback market stuff depends on, you know, whether a team executive or a head coach or an offensive coordinator can sell everybody else on, you know, this is our guy, this is the guy we want to commit to. And then it's just, and, and you know, I mentioned Daniel Jones and Josh Allen. It only takes one. That wouldn't have been me, but there are people in the NFL who made that decision. If I'm Cam, I'm looking at a Tampa 
I would like to go with Bruce Arians in my stretch run here. I, I don't know if it would work out perfectly and if it's a clean fit in his scheme, but I, I would like to see him there or uh, Jacksonville. With Jacksonville looking to move on from Nick uh, Nick Foles and maybe they can find a deal. Gardner Minshew's great. He's fun, whatever. The fourth order... Excuse me. The fourth quarter heroics were were interesting, but he was not as great down the stretch last year. And there's still questions. Um, I would probably go into 2020 with him as the starter, but like bringing in veteran competition, I think should be the the plan there in Jacksonville. And they're doing a quasi fire sale there, but they're going to tag Yannick and Guacque, and um, they traded Bouye. But they're just they're still a very good team, and I, I shouldn't say that they're a very good defense. And they're still not like crazy far away. And I'm a big DJ Chark guy. I don't know if you're on the same uh, yeah. wavelength there, but I, I'm a big fan of his. And uh, I think the Jaguars are not that far out from getting back into AFC South contention. I would like to see Cam go to a warm weather area. Like people who throw him around in Chicago and Pittsburgh, I'm like, with his playing style and his age, no. I, if I'm Cam Newton, I'm like, I'm not going in the cold. I'm not playing in Chicago in December, getting banged up up the middle by uh, the Minnesota Vikings defense. Hard pass. No, I'm going to play in Jacksonville. I'm going to play in Tampa. Enjoy my last couple of years in the sun. That th- He went to Auburn. He's from the area. No, there's no way I'm leaving yeah. uh, the South if I'm Cam Newton. Yeah, and you know that's the, that's the rough thing. You may you may only have a limited ability to choose your market, and you know if the only guy, if Matt Nagy is more committed to you than anybody else, then you know to Chicago you may go. I still say no, <laughs> even if it. Yeah, it's even if it, now I, I I kind of agree with you. It just kind of like feels wrong, but you know the NFL does not does not always produce outcomes that feel right. Even if um, you know it, even if it's just things we might prefer to forget, like Joe Namath ending his career with the LA Rams. Yeah, I I don't think anybody remembers that. Um, why aren't we talking more? Uh, this is a two part question with Green Bay because Green Bay had a great season. Uh, they obviously lost to the 49ers in just a, a embarrassing fashion. Matt Lafleur slam dunk hire. It seems like um, still questions. I think with Mike Pettin coming back on defense, um, I. It seems like they're close. Devontae Adams is a target machine. They, I think they need one more weapon on offense in Green Bay. I think Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is still great. He's obviously still good enough to win a Super Bowl, but it does seem like the Packers are... We're, we're nearing the last couple years of Aaron Rodgers just being uh, a top five, top ten quarterback in this league. Uh, wh- what do you think about what you saw from Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs this year, his whole season? And whether or not it would be smart for the Packers to start doing what they did uh, with Brett Favre with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, he's 36. You know, I, Tom Brady, notwithstanding, that generally only means he has a couple years left. And it's wise to start thinking about, you know, when are we going to move on? He's not, you know, he's still a good quarterback. He's still capable of doing great things. But he's not the same player that he was, you know, in 2011 or something like that. What have you seen that's different? Uh, what is something that you've seen on the film that like, cause I've, I've heard that from different people. Like I'm not the, I, I'm just, I don't feel like I'm enough of an expert. And I watch enough green Bay to really parse through what has changed. What, what have you seen that's changed from 2011 to Aaron Rodgers in 2019, 2020? 
Well, a little bit of it has been the depth at receiver. The 2011 team had some ridiculous depth at receiver. Um, you know, I wrote about them the year they went to the uh, NFC Championship game in 2014. That time, he was really reliant on Jordy Nelson and um, Randall Cobb, and it was basically a two-man passing game. Uh, Adams was a young player at the time. He hadn't developed that level of trust. But I think Aaron Rodgers, what you've seen with him at times is that he when he doesn't have that level of trust and that level of comfort that he knows what's going to happen next, he's reluctant to pull the trigger. And that was easier to get away with. And, you know, because that was something that been an inconsistent feature of his game. I went to the, uh, the Packers Vikings playoff game in 2012, just kind of randomly. And then, you know, that was something that I saw that game and where he just, he wants to be an, He's always looking for the great play, so he wants to be an improviser. And if his improvisation improvisation skills just drop off by ten percent, just because he's getting older, then the throws that he doesn't attempt become more costly because he's not as able to make up for it with the spectacular improvisational plays, even if he is still capable of those from time to time. Favorite roster in the league right now for you, and then your least favorite. Uh, uh, it's hard to, I mean, just because they won the Super Bowl, it's hard to say Kansas City. It's hard not to say Kansas City is my favorite roster. They have just this ridiculous mm. depth of offensive uh, skill, skill position talent, and they have a superstar quarterback who's still, who's, you know, it's reasonable to expect him to be a really good player for the next 15 years. And, you know, it's... And they and they have an offensive brain trust who's willing, able, and capable of making use of that depth of talent. And then at the same time, they also have outstanding players on defense who are capable of making game-changing plays. I'm assuming that they're, they're going to keep Chris Jones. Um, when the Titans be, uh, beat the Chiefs in the playoffs a couple of years ago, that game changed when Jones went out with an injury. And also that was Alex Smith and not Patrick Mahomes. Um, least favorite roster? That's a good question. Um, off the top of my head, I'd probably have to say, um, I'd probably have to the say Raiders Washington. Are for me. It, ooh, Washington's a good one too. Yeah, you know, it's I, I kind of like Haskins coming out um, as a prospect. I didn't have it. I didn't have a chance to break, break down his tape in detail as a rookie, but I think, you know, I don't, with his coaching change, I'm not sure how much I'd get out of that anyway. I think you're going to have to see what kind of player he is. You know, obviously, you know, Terry McLaurin had, had a great rookie season. Maybe the best rookie uh, but I just, yeah, but I just don't know how much I, and I don't know if the, the defense is more talented than it used to be, if the, if the level of draft investment has been rewarded with with game changing players the way I would like to see, so I just don't know. You know, Ron Rivera is a good coach. Maybe he could get them to you know close to five hundred, but I don't see them being great, even with the addition of a great prospect and Chase Young. Unless there's unless Haskins turns out to be a much better player than I think he's likely to be. Are they just not? Uh, getting another GM. Why is that no longer talked about? Bruce Ellen was gone. They were interviewing people and Ron Rivera is like running everything, but they don't actually have a GM, right? They never have actually hired somebody. They reassigned Doug Williams. Um, so, Who is it? 
Yeah, and, and, part, and part of the reason it's hard to trust Washington is Dave Snyder has a very long track record of making very bad decisions. And, it, you know, it's, yeah. he actually does the stuff that we want, that we think about Jerry Jones doing, is that yeah. and he has he's had a, historically had a very tough time accepting uh, no when, uh, when it comes to football decisions and says no. And, you know, if, you know, can Rivera can actually, can Rivera actually make no, we can't do this. This, this would be a very bad decision. Can he actually make that stick? And, you know, lots of people have tried in Washington, and I don't know that it's outside of maybe Joe Gibbs, who had this cachet from the three previous Super Bowls he won. I don't know that anybody's been able to make no stick for a long term, which is part of the reason that I don't trust Washington. It's always a good strategy. Don't trust the team that Dan Snyder owns. Um, I I subscribe to that belief, and I think more people should. Uh, Last thing, then we'll wrap up here, Tom. Uh, stats that we should all be paying more attention to right now in the NFL. What are some things that, not the traditional stuff, but the stuff that, not even football outsiders, but what are what are some things that we all need to be monitoring throughout the season to just make us smarter football fans? Um, so, are you, uh, let's see, throughout the season, you know, I just, just don't pay attention to total yards. Um, they're a lot of the, they're very context dependent and they're related to pace of play. Um, uh, our drives, you know, just, uh, I'm used to going to either football outsiders or pro football reference, uh, for mm-hmm. most of my stats. So, uh, our drive stats at football outsiders, we have offensive drive stats and defensive drive stats. Uh, they're freely available at footballoutsiders.com. Um, I think they're underutilized and that they, it's, it's a lot better than looking at, and they're a lot better than looking at just uh, total yards allowed and thinking about, you know, uh, red zone performance tends to be pretty inconsistent um, to the, outside, outside of New England, especially on defense. Um, the Titans were really good on in red zone defense in 2018. They were very bad last year. That's probably not a real thing in either way, but it has a tremendous effect during the season. Um, and, uh, I just recommend efficiency stats in general. Uh, one of the things that makes a big difference from one year to the next is in- is injuries, especially if a particular position group is devastated. Um, so from one, so uh, we'll run adjusted games loss stats at Football Outsiders, which are our measure of how injured teams are, and that's. And you know, I mentioned the Falcons' offensive line continuity in 2016, and. You know, it's the most in the most injured offensive lines are likely to get better uh, from one year to the next. The, the healthiest offensive lines are, are probably like are likely to get worse from one year to the next. And the same is true of other position groups as well. But uh, offensive line is one where continuity really does seem to be a big factor. All right. Well, Tom, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like I'm smarter as a football fan talking to you. So I appreciate the time. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug before we get out of here? Um, no, it's uh, Football Outsiders. Um, we're, we have uh, our normal off-season division-by-division division, uh, content that uh, runs on first on ESPN and then on the side, it's called four downs. And then we're, we'll have uh, regular, you know, data dumps on the season that was, and uh, just, I believe it went up today. We had a, we had our futures column looking at the uh, prospects and uh, well, our latest one saying the praises of Ohio state cornerback Jeffrey Okuda is going to be a very high pick next month. 
yeah, uh, it seems like Detroit is is all in there. Um, all right, well, this has been great, Tom. I appreciate um, your time tonight, and uh, everyone, go read Football Outsiders. It's great, and uh, get ready for the season because it will be here before you know it. Uh, Tom, thank you so much, and I will have to do this again soon. Okay, thanks for having me. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, You can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash chase thomas writer. For as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. You could go to Chase Thomas podcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever um, links to everything that you need um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.